Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Southside Baptist Church is finishing a preaching series through Acts, and Acts begins with this promise from Jesus. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus promises his followers power to accomplish his mission throughout all the earth, a mission to be witnesses. Not just any witnesses, but Jesus said, my witnesses. We are Jesus's witnesses. We belong to him and we testify about him. But we cannot be witnesses without power. And Jesus promises power in his presence, his Holy Spirit. Throughout Acts, in each section or each pericope, that we've studied, we've asked this question, where is the power in this text? Where is the Holy Spirit at work in this text? Sometimes the Spirit's power is evident when the disciples are waiting or acting in the name of Jesus or being positioned by God for a work or praying or in unity and agreement about something or when they're being courageous or journeying through a process. It's not a manufactured power, but it is a power of God's presence that is demonstrated in all circumstances as the disciples are being witnesses for Jesus in all the earth. The title of this sermon today captures the power of the Holy Spirit evident in Acts chapter 27. And I've titled this sermon, Power in Difficulty. Power in Difficulty. It seems odd to say power and difficulty, but that word difficulty shows up repeatedly in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 is quite a long chapter, and it takes up quite a bit of space in the book of Acts, going into details of the difficulties of Paul's journey to Rome. Difficulties are not those that Paul sought out for himself. He even tried to warn against some of them before they happened. But nevertheless, it is through the difficulties that the work of the Spirit is seen, clearly witnessing for Jesus when all hope is abandoned. The Holy Spirit illuminates the salvation of God in Jesus Christ when we turn to God in our difficulty. For the sake of those that are joining us for the first time, The end of Acts follows the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Paul is appointed by Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16 says, to be a chosen instrument of the Lord's, to carry the name of the Lord before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And Jesus even said, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's journeys have taken the gospel to many cities, and Paul has suffered greatly already. But now he's a prisoner, 
with a promise from God that he will stand before Caesar in Rome. And so the gospel has traveled from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and now Paul is taking it to the end of the earth, uh, the end of the earth in this day being Rome. He's on a ship journeying to Rome under guard of a Roman centurion and soldiers. In Acts chapter 27, let's pick up in verse 9, if you look at it with me, Acts chapter 27 verses 9 and 10 says, Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Verse 9 says Paul advised. It means he strongly recommended. Uh, that It's a very strong type of uh, advice. And this word is used twice in all of the New Testament. And both times it's in this chapter of Acts, chapter, uh, chapter 27. Paul is presented as having two opportunities to interject his strong advice. And here in verse 9, he's urging them to change course. He's warning them. But later in Acts chapter 27, verse 22, that same word applies as Paul urges them that time to cheer up because there will not be any loss of life. But back here at Acts chapter 10, they don't know that. And this urging of Paul is not described uh, as being based on any kind of prophetic word from God, but it's based on perception, on what is seen and what is observed. Look with me at verse 10. Paul says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury. Perceive, this is Paul's understanding based on what he has seen and heard. It could be his discernment. It could be his constant fellowship with the Lord, that the Lord told him, but we just aren't told in Acts that the Lord appeared to him and told him this. But this text presents a word of instruction for us as Christians to keep our eyes open, to keep in fellowship with the Lord, to be discerners of the times and outcomes of our present circumstances and how applicable that is for us today, to be perceptive. Already in this voyage, Acts chapter 27, verse 4 tells us that the winds were against them. They, in verse 7, sailed slowly for a number of days, arrived with difficulty. You see the use of that word in verse 7, off Snidus. And as the winds did not allow us to go further, we sailed until the lee, under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Again in chapter 27, verse 8, it says, coasting along it with, what's that word? Difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. That word difficulty describes their journey thus far, and Paul perceives difficulty if they push onward. And perhaps it was obvious that the season and the weather was not right to continue on at this time. Look with me at what happened at verse 11 and 12. It says, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. 
So the decision was made to continue on despite Paul's warning. And this was a majority decision, according to verse 12. The majority decided. It's appropriate at this note uh, to say that the majority is not always right. And notice that there's very little certainty here. They put out to sea from there. Verse 12 says, if somehow, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix and spend the winter there. Now look at verses 13 and 14 as the text continues. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down the land. Now that word, a tempestuous wind, is the word typhonikos. Let me make sure I have that right. Typhonikos. You think of that word typhoon, like a hurricane. This is a violent wind that lasted for a long period of time. It's not like a tornado that spins up and blows through and then it's done, even in a matter of seconds. This is more like a hurricane that persists on, pounding and pounding and pounding relentlessly. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Quada. We managed, again, with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Notice again that word difficulty. Now it's third usage and a continued descriptor of this journey of Paul to Rome by boat. Let's continue on in verses 17 through 20. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Notice this progression here. Fearing they would run aground, lowering the gear, being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. They threw the tackle overboard, all leading up to that last clause, that last phrase, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is a progression of these sailors doing everything in their ability incrementally to deliver themselves from the storm. The storm continues to press on them, and they take more drastic measures to keep themselves afloat until finally they abandon all that they can abandon, even their hope. Now, we can identify with this in our current pandemic. We're taking new and progressive measures each day under the guidance of those uh, professionals and our leaders to combat this virus. It very well could be that we get to a point after abandoning our work, our travel, our lifestyles as we've known it, that we might even abandon hope itself. We hear that it must get worse before it gets better. But remember that the Lord may bring things to such a point where all hope is lost, all human attempts have proved futile, where 
if there is to be any kind of a salvation, it can only happen by the act of God alone. It's a paradox that belongs to the faith that we believe, that in order to gain a living hope, we must let go of hope in anything and everything else. In order to receive the salvation of God in Jesus Christ, we must forsake salvation in anything and everything else. With God, only when we give what we are holding on to away, do we then receive what God offers. Only when we yield ourselves to the point of giving in to the inevitable and disastrous outcome of the storm, are we able to yield our will to the one who can calm the storm. Only when we count everything as loss, everything as trash, everything as dung, the Bible says, only then do we gain Christ. God will not compete as one among many. God will not support these sailors in their endeavor to save themselves. Instead, God waits. Instead, God lets the storm continue to blow. And God waits until all hope is abandoned of being saved because only at that point are they then ready to call out to God in their trouble and receive deliverance from him, the master of the waves and the storm. Because they have exhausted all other options. The space between verses 20 and 21 represents a turning point. And you might draw a line in your Bible between verses 20 and 21 to represent this turning point. Because verse 20 ends with all hope being abandoned, and verse 21 begins to speak hope and life in the midst of hopelessness. Look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you, have lis- you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. This is one of the great I told you so moments in scripture. But don't miss this. It is because they did not listen to Paul at the first that now Paul is in a position to be heard. They don't have any other options. Had they listened to Paul, it would have been a better voyage for them, but in the providence of God, they did not listen, and now they witness, and we witness God's mighty power in the storm, and also God's mighty ability to save. Verse 22, Paul goes on and says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. This is the second use of that word urge in this chapter and in all of the New Testament. The first time Paul urged or strongly advised them, he was advising them not to take the trip, but by the grace of God displayed as Paul now a second time urges them, strongly advising them to take heart. That is to become encouraged, to cheer up. This Paul seems to go against the grain just a little bit to always be contrasting with their circumstances. At first, they were determined to go on their course, but Paul, contrary to this, urged them not to go. Now, they've abandoned hope, and Paul urges them to be cheerful. Contrary motion. And God is like this too. Our ways are our ways, but God's ways are not our ways. 
We are born in sin, yet where sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. Contrary motion with God. Paul is presented as going against all circumstances because God has the power to go against all circumstances. God can save them. God can deliver them. Paul is not crazy. Before at his urging, warning them not to go on this trip, Acts doesn't tell us Paul received any vision, only that Paul perceived that the voyage would result in loss. But now Paul has received a promise. Look with me at verses 23 through 26. The word of God says, For this very night, Paul's telling, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Let me read that again, just a moment, because this, I think, speaks to our current context as well. There stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Notice that phrase in verse 23, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. Literally, whose I am and whom I serve. This Let this text remind us all whose we are and whose we serve. It's a great statement of identity. If you find yourself being fearful or starting to lose hope, remember whose you are and whose you serve, who you serve, who you worship. It's a statement of identity rooting in belonging to God and serving God. And this angel delivers a message saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. That's a promise from God. And that promise from God gives Paul confidence that he will stand before Caesar. Even if Paul has to drown and God has to reach down and raise him out of the water and bring him back to life again, Paul will stand before Caesar. That's the confidence we have in the word and promise of God. And graciously, God gives Paul the life of all who are sailing with him too. And this is a source of their cheer. In verse 25, Paul says, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Underline verse 25, this phrase, for I have faith in God. That is a confession. It says, I believe in God. I want you to say that out loud in your homes as a group. Would you say that with me? I believe in God. That's right. I believe in God. And that belief in God is based upon what? What Paul can see? No. All he sees around him is a storm, rough seas, and desperate men. That belief in God is based on what God has spoken. It's based on God's word. He says, I believe in God that it will be like this according to the way it was told to me. Paul not only received God's word to him through the angel, but he received that word with faith, and he confessed that faith. And it was just that, faith. Faith faith is believing without being able to see. 
And in the present circumstances, there was not uh, any kind of visible way out of their predicament. In fact, verse 26 says, we must run aground on some island. I want to thank you all for your comments. By the way, I see people repeating that phrase in the comments. I have faith in God. Praise the Lord. And thank you for affirming this preaching and dialoguing with me uh, in this task of preaching. Uh, Be encouraged that the journey to realizing the promise may require first running aground on some island. Whatever God has in store for us after this virus pandemic will obviously require us to go through this virus pandemic. If we are praying that God would bring about a revival, maybe God's going to bring out a revival through what's happening right now as churches are online, promoting the truth of God online to more people than ever before. Maybe when our church doors open back up again, we'll have more people flooding in to hear the truth of God because the church has been uh, neglectful in one task, sadly, and that's going out and doing the work of evangelism. But now God has so worked it that we're able to do evangelism on the same platform that the world is on. And it has an unlimited reach geographically. And uh, I praise God for this opportunity. So, but we're going to have to go through this pandemic to see what the Lord wants to do with it. Look with me at verses 27 through 32 as this comes to a close. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat onto the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. If you didn't follow what just happened, the sailors, fearful as they are, they try to be sneaky and they try to escape without being noticed. They go and act as if they're going to go lower down the anchors of the boat, but instead they lower down a boat like a little lifeboat, small boat that they could escape in. But Paul in verse 31 sees this. He goes to the centurion and he said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Upon hearing that verse, it calls to mind the necessity of the cross. For unless Christ offered up himself on the cross for sin in our place, we likewise cannot be saved from sin and death. We likewise are hopeless because not one of us has lived according to God's standard. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us has broken the law of God. None of us is perfect. Apart from Christ, we cannot be saved. And this is a very strong statement, cannot be saved. It just leaps off the page to me. There was one exception for Paul and those on the ship. Those who stay in the ship 
can be saved. And just as those who were in Noah's ark were saved from the judgment of God during the flood, those who are in Christ are saved. Look with me at verses 33 through 38. I thank you again for your comments, your interactions. I see the amens. I see the prayers. I see the faith in God. And God sees that faith as well. Look with me at verses 33 through 38. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, Luke records. And in verse 38, it says, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. It's a pretty empty ship now. This text certainly draws our, uh, to our mind as readers when the Lord had taken bread and had given thanks and had broken it, feeding more than 5,000 from just a few small loaves. And it certainly reminds us of when the Lord himself took bread and gave thanks and broke it, giving it to the disciples before his death at the Last Supper. The word Eucharist is there in the word for give thanks or gave thanks in this text. This text reminds us that Jesus is the bread from heaven, that his body was broken for our salvation. And here there is bread offered to these men with a word of hope to strengthen them. Look with me at verses 39 through 44 as this comes to a close. It says, Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let me repeat that last phrase again. So it was that all were brought safely to land. Once again, the word of the Lord came to pass. The Lord brought them safely to land as he promised. And I want to remind you of the psalm that we began this service with, Psalm 107. Remember what it said in verses 28 through 30 of Psalm 107. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And listen to this. And he, the Lord, brought them to their desired haven. Why is this passage in Acts so long? Why so many details of the journey? 
I believe it's because it was a very difficult journey. And it had uh, the difficulty not happened, the deliverance would not have happened. We, like Paul, live contrary to the ways of the world as Christians. The ways of the world are not the ways of Christ. The Christian life is a life lived out in storms. That does not mean that we are abandoned. That does not mean that we have no hope. On the contrary, the storms, the difficulty help us bear witness all the more of the living hope we have in God alone. Paul is going to Rome, but he's going to Rome on a promise. And after reading this long story, we may think he'll never get there, but he will get there because God promised him that he would. And Paul believes God on account of God's word. What about you? Do you believe God on account of his word? Not what other people have told you about God, but what God has told you about himself in his word, the Bible. Do you believe what this says about God? Do you believe that it is true? This is a good place for all of us to make a commitment to obey God, to obey his word. Yes, God has promised us salvation. Yes, we are saved in Christ and are being saved and will be saved. But even more narrowly, I want us to think about our ministry, our mission. What unique things has God given us to obey? What purpose does God have for each of us? Do we have such a hope and belief in the sovereign God that he will accomplish in us his purposes for us no matter what difficulties we face? no matter what pandemics we may face, do we believe in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If I could summarize this sermon in one sentence, it would be this. The Holy Spirit illuminates the salvation of God in Jesus Christ when we turn to God in our difficulty. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.